Welcome to Aussie Pets Podcast. My name's Edwin Reese. Responsible pet owners everywhere, thank you for joining us today to listen to a unique couple who run the Runaway Rabbit Orphanage up in picturesque Alinda. Judy and Bryce Inglis are a couple who had an unusual meeting with rabbits and run a rabbit orphanage which caters for rabbits of all sorts and kinds, ailments and conditions. They are an inspiring couple and they give us an example of what people can do when they've got compassion and respect for animals. Welcome Judy. Hello Edwin, nice to be with you. Yes, it's always good to talk to you Judy and uh, I can't wait to hear how you started and became first acquainted with rabbits because it is an unusual story of how you and Bryce began the journey. Yes, well, it was an unexpected turn that our lives took about 16 years ago when two little stray rabbits wandered into our property before we moved up to the beautiful area where we are now in Alinda. Those animals, um, we ended up taking them to a local rescue to get some uh, friends for them, and that's how, how our life began. We, at the time, we didn't know anything about rabbits. We did the rounds of the neighbours. No one owned these two little animals. They came in one week apart. And we learned later that someone was backyard breeding in the area and they were escaping and turning up in our property. Within about, oh, about two months of that, we found another one in the local streets. And then we had another two arrive at our gate about two months after that. And those latest two we took to one of the local uh, animal rescues and they were euthanized because they had health issues. I was devastated. I didn't understand why they would do that. And that was our first um, interaction with rescues in Australia. As I learned more about uh, what, what was happening at the rescues, I realized that rabbits were... Uh, they'd come in to rescue and they come in 40 at a time. People were backyard breeding, dumping them whole litters as soon as they got ill in the night boxes at the rescues and from there the animals would be euthanised because they weren't well enough to be rehomed. And going back 16 years at that time, the rescues weren't in a position to spend money on, on getting them healthy and rehoming them. So that was how it all started. We started fostering for that particular rescue and we found that we were we were rehoming the rabbits ourselves, finding good homes for them. And that was really the start of it. From there, we realised that where we were living, we couldn't have a number of rabbits on the property because we're in a residential zone. And in Australia, we need to be in a, a green wedge zone, which is zone for agricultural use to be able to keep the animals there. So it was that for, for that reason that we started looking for a property and we found a property in Alinda up in the beautiful Dandenong Ranges and we took a big leap of faith at that time because the council couldn't guarantee that they would give us a permit to run the rescue. So we bought a property with just a garage on it, no house for ourselves but a garage for the animals and we set about with fingers crossed and a big leap of faith to hope that we would get the permits through to run the rescue. 
it did work. We did get the permits, but it took us four years to do that and to build our house Isn't here. Isn't that just a marvellous story where you've almost by accident had these rabbits turning up on your doorstep? I, I spoke with a, a guest on a, uh, last week's podcast from the Unusual Pet Vet. We have a lot of, he looks after a lot of our foster rabbits out at the Unusual Pet Vets. They're wonderful vets out there. What a lovely guy and what a lovely team. They, um, we, we had a bit of fun and, and Dr. Shane had the eight uh, different types of animals that he, they're actual unusual animals that he looks after, uh, graded and rabbits were uh, high on the charts. They're, they're, they're a great sort of animal because they are a, an alternative to a dog, but they have got personality and character to some extent. And I guess that might be their, a bit of a downfall because can you go, can you explain to people uh, regarding rabbits, their personality and character, and the thing that makes people you think give them up? Look, the the problem with with rabbits as pets is that they're very misunderstood as the type of creature they are. At the end of the day, they're a domestic pet. They're not a farm animal. That's the first thing. Farm animals are kept outside. Domestic pets are domesticated to live with the in the home with the families, and that's the first mistake that people make. The second thing is that the rabbit is also a little prey species, so everything wants to eat it. So its nature is naturally to be a bit worried until it uh, learns to trust the family. Once it's it's in a routine and it trusts and feels safe, well, then their little personalities just explode and you really see the real nature of the rabbit. Uh, they're also a very quiet communicator, so they're not an ideal pet for a child under eight or a family with children under eight. We don't feel that any um, pet should be for a child, that they should be a family decision if they're getting a pet. The rabbit lifespan is 10 to 12 years nowadays, if all goes well. Most rabbits live easily till eight years and then you can keep them going with the right health care and with luck. Uh, we've got one bunny in our home that's going on 13 now. But there is a lot of, in Australia particularly, the rabbits are considered still a feral pest um, by a lot of people and they don't understand that we've moved on to have them as domestic pets now. So education is way behind what it should be, educating people to the type of personality, diet, health and the space that a rabbit needs as a family pet. They are very intelligent and they're also quite empathetic. You can just watch them with their litter mates or with their bonded pair, desexed rabbits of course, and you just see how they look after each other and they worry about each other. You can see in their little faces and their behaviour. But you need to be able to sit back and observe them to understand what their needs are and how they are actually communicating with you. As I said, they're subtle communicators. They're not like a dog or cat which can be in your face and running up and jumping all over you. Um, and for that reason, too, children, when people get them for the children, they lose interest within a very short time. And probably, just on that note, probably 70% of our um, surrenders uh, come from people that have got them for the children um, or they, they've got them not understanding the type of animal that they are. 
and then they don't have the patience or the right setup to actually let that animal thrive and do well and to actually see their true You're nature. Absolutely right. With that, with my uh, professional career as a ranger, there's a couple of points I'd like to address that uh, where I work, they do let us uh, collect rabbits and we do rescue all of them, 100% of them. So when I found your organization, I can't tell you how happy I was. I've got a rabbit boy. Now, he is exactly what you've said. He's got a great little personality. He would not be any good with kids at all. But for a person, an older person, looking for a little bit of company, a bit of quiet company, and a lot of love and warmth, a rabbit might be the right pet. Uh, where, where did rabbits come from? They, they aren't a native Australian animal. Where do they come from, uh, Dr. Judy? Well, they, they, came from, they came over from Europe uh, about 1859 with a settler called Thomas Austin and he brought 13 rabbits out of the sport and let them go on his property. And from there, of course, we've now got the rabbit pro uh, problem with the wild rabbits. I believe, too, that the first pet rabbits came with the first fleet, but they weren't, weren't released. They just stayed with the family. So it's the settler who let them go that has caused the, the problem in the environment now. That's a pity there. And the, the other point that you touched on briefly, I'd like to go back to that and how it actually affects your organisation. Because rabbits are not no longer considered under the Act, there used to be the Domestic Feral and, and animal, uh, Nuisance Animals Act, but now there's the Domestic Animals Act, which is specifically aimed at cats and dogs. Uh, in Victoria, uh, councils aren't actually obliged, although I'm blessed to be one that does. They're not obliged to take rabbits, the same as a person finding a cat or a dog. And, and clearly, uh, that affects you directly. I imagine that the investment and of not only energy and love that you put in, but money would be really stretched, especially now during COVID. Look, it's, it's a huge problem and it has been for all the time that we've run the rescue. Because they're not under the Domestic Animal Act, the council pounds aren't obliged to take them in at all. And a lot of them don't. They just refer them refer the people clearly directly to us. Now, when those animals come in, no funds come with them. So we've our job is constantly raising funds to have all the vet work done. And the basic desexing vaccination microchipping of every animal is done before it goes goes anywhere, it's placed into a home. But we also have animals that come in with health challenges or that are older animals that that uh, won't do well in the mainstream rescues and they're also referred on to us both by the rescues and by individuals and we will take them from all over Victoria but we do have to prioritise which ones that we take and we're more inclined to take either stray animals or the ones that have uh, health issues or that are older that won't do well in, or that may be at risk of being euthanised if they go mainstream the other, if we do have calls from people wanting to surrender, one of the first things that we ask them is, is the animal healthy? Does it have any health issues? Is it young bunny? If all those things are yes, yes, well, then we refer them on to a range of other rescues where they can see if they can place the animal. And if they can't, they're always advised to call us back because we don't want to risk them being dumped somewhere or leaving those people in a difficult situation themselves. 
but it is a big problem. The um, the rabbits come under the Catchment and Land Protection Act, and that's the only one where they're actually mentioned. And that act is mainly for the wild or feral rabbits. But when it comes down to keeping the animal um, once it's in your care or releasing it into the environment, it doesn't matter whether it's a domestic animal or whether it's one of the, the wild uh, feral rabbits, uh, they are both um, come under under that that act. But there's nothing in the Domestic um, Animal Act which covers them. There's no obligation to, to dissect them. We have a huge problem of people getting them from um, online sites such as Gumtree and other, other sites or from uh, pet shops or from backyard breeders and they don't even know the sex of them half the time till there's litter upon litter. And it's at that point that we're called in to try and take all the babies. And at the moment I've got 30 babies here just from people you know, making um, not very clever decisions regarding that and not even knowing the sex of their animals. And as far as getting them desexed, that's not even on the radar for a lot of people. They think it's a cheap pet. You get them for $40. They're not going to pay 300 to have them desexed, vaccinated and microchipped. So, yes, it is a big problem for for for, for us um, to try and continually meet those costs. I'm, I'm just shaking my head because the, the first thing I did, actually Binky was a, a rabbit that was handed in to council and I ended up uh, effectively picking him up and taking him to the pound. Uh, I had a connection to him, although he doesn't particularly have a connection to me, but we're, we're quite happy to live together and uh, he absolutely adores Jenna. Uh, he'll do anything for her. He runs in circles around her when she walks outside and he just uh, he's, he'll stay and let her scratch his nose for hours, literally hours. I'm just shaking my head that there's um, the in this day and age that people aren't aware that the most humane and, and fair thing to do would be if you've got a domestic pet, then treat them as a pet and do get them desexed. I really encourage that. Uh, and if you feel that you want to make a difference, I, I think probably reaching out to um, www.rabbitrunaway.org.au. Now, this will be on the podcast afterwards at the bottom, but that's uh, rabbitrunaway.org.au. And leaving a donation, maybe at least uh, to help uh, towards a, an animal getting desexed, because rabbits do breed like rabbits, and they can have litters incredibly quickly. And the poor mums, the poor mummy buns, they're just their body's just going to get worn out, and they're not going to have a very long life, are they? Are they, Judy? No, they usually what we see is by the by the third litter in a row because they're on demand ovulators, so they get pregnant the day they have babies, and it's only uh, roughly a four week gestation. So after the third litter is born, they usually die; their little bodies are just worn out, and then we end up with the babies trying to hand rear them, uh, which is not. <laughs> It's really difficult to hand rear baby animals, particularly baby rabbits. Um, if they've been with the mother for two to three weeks, well, then we've got a fighting chance. But if they come as newborns, they don't have the protection in the gut uh, that they get from the mother's milk and from the cecotrophs. So it's very difficult to, to keep them alive. They, they are prone to get enteritis and gut bugs. I, I happen to know that you're you're so passionate, and I've heard this from other people before. I asked if I could have you come on the podcast, 
that you've been advancing rabbits welfare to the government. Um, how are you going with that? Are you, have you got still deaf ears or people starting to turn? No, look, we um, we <laughs> our calls have fallen on deaf ears for 16 years. Uh, each time that there's an animal welfare review, we put in submissions. We talk to them. Nothing ever happens. The rabbits have just did another one last year, and rabbits are still not included 16 years later. So what I can't understand is how the government can allow rabbits to be sold and people to take them home and breed them, and they just wash their hands of them. There's no laws in place to control the breeding and sale of them. And yet we've got this huge uh, feral problem of rabbits in Australia, whereas they're not even controlling the domestic problem either. And the kill rates in shelters going back 10 years was horrendous. It's a lot better now because there's a lot more private rescues popping up. Not all rabbit-specific, but people, even the mainstreams, will try and move them out into foster or to private rescues so they don't have to euthanise them. But the, the intake of rabbits into rescue is still huge and until there's some legal change to address this the breeding and sale of them i don't think we're going to see that shift uh we're just we hit our heads against a brick wall with this um there's not a lot the the people that are in charge of in council in charge of these matters don't seem don't see it as a priority and because we're picking up the pieces on this end yeah we live in hope i guess um, now, putting that to one side, and people keep that in your mind that if you want to make a difference, talk to your local member or your councillors about this. Um, if you're looking for a rabbit, and we've already heard that it's not a great pet for younger kids, uh, the main reason for that is because rabbits are actually quite fragile, and a, a young kid hasn't got much motor control, and they might accidentally drop the rabbit, break its legs, injure it, damage its organs. Um, but if you're an older person, let's say you're like myself around your, your mid, around 50s, and you're looking for uh, a peaceful pet, uh, can you tell me some uh, positive outcomes that you've had from your uh, rabbit runaway orphanage for people who are suited to have rabbits as pets? Look, our, our main adoption... Uh profile, I suppose, would be people in their late 20s to 50s. Uh, we do have uh, some lovely people too, the smaller group that are over that age, of course, that love the, the rabbits. But once people have had a, had a rabbit, they don't go back to other, other species. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. They're, because they're a prey species, there's that... Um, willingness to care and really look after that creature because it's just so dependent on you as are cats and dogs and other animals but they're not they're not a prey species so learning earning the trust of the rabbit is i think what draws people in and once that animal trusts you and that you you see them respond to you in a positive way and completely let down their guard with you i think that's what what people actually love about it. They, we have a lot of people um, that come to, have come to us over the years that have the animals also that may have um, stress-related 
conditions or people that have uh, you know, post-traumatic stress and other conditions, and they just find the the rabbit really healing because they're a gentle, um, empathetic creature, and they will just sit with you. They'll seek you out. Um, you know, you really see their temperament and personality if you've got them living in the home with you. They run up. They're happy to see you. They're not in your face, as I said before, like a cat or dog, but they've got this really gentle way about them. One of the first animals that I had, if ever I was uh, distressed, because I had, keep in mind, over 16 years, you know, we do come across a lot of animals that don't make it, that may, you know, to our best efforts, looking after them and litters of babies that may die. And I had one little rabbit here that she would come up, she would sit under the cage of the animals that were struggling to draw my attention to them. And then once I dealt with that little animal, she'd come up and she'd stick her head under my hand or lick my hand. She just wanted pats or she'd lick me. It was like like a reciprocal thing. She was like a little shadow and just such an empathetic little creature. And she just seemed to have a sixth sense with what was going on in the rescue. She lived in our home but if I had animals that were really struggling, they'd come into the home. It, our rescue is is our four car garage just beside our home. It's joined by a door, you know, so it's not like it's in, it's far away. But you know, people that have rabbits really see their personality and nature. And as uh, dog owners, you hear a lot about dog owners how that animal is man's best friend. Well, for people that have taken the time to let the animal into their lives, a rabbit into their lives, they have the same connection with them as you hear uh, dog owners do. Absolutely. And I can I can loudly say yes to that because there was nothing quite as joyful that I recall in the last couple of decades as when my rabbit came up to me and stopped and let me pat him on his... He put his head down and let me pat him on his little nose. Now, I think that's a, a, a signal of his dominance over me, <laughs> him getting me to pat him first, but I was more than happy to do that. And most of the time he keeps to himself. Um, at our place, we've got a, uh, a cage that's Binky's Corner. It's uh, probably about six square metres, I guess, about three by two metres. Because if you are getting a rabbit, uh, rabbits do like chewing things and eating things. And it's best, i found, that he doesn't get into trouble if you just keep an eye on him. But if you don't keep an eye on him, you might start chewing things you don't really want him to chew on, um, which if you don't mind, it doesn't matter because I have a bit of a laugh. Um, but he's, he's quite a quite a little character. And he, the funniest thing he does, he when he first arrived, he was very shy and didn't adventure much because they're a prey animal. They're territorial and, and try and find safety. And he'd run under and sit underneath the TV and chew at the TV stand while while we're watching the TV, it's quite funny. So I, I think there's things that you, the family really needs to sit down, like as you mentioned before, and discuss before you bring a rabbit into your family, what the limits are, where you're going to put your rabbit. Uh, could you go into a little bit of detail in terms of, I've got a, a wire, a special cage with um, wire to contain him when he's got his, um, he can't roam all the time when we're not here. And he's, he's not allowed any electric cords either because he's eaten through one. Yeah, look, it's really important to have a safe space for the bunny and you only have them free reign when you're home or 
until they're older and you, you know what their habits are and they're not going to chew things because they're more prone to chew when they're younger. Uh, as they mature, they seem to grow out of that. It's a bit like having a little child where everything has to go in the mouth. Well, with a rabbit, they see their environment like they would in their bunny brains. Cords are like tree branches that they have to chew through. You know, so these sorts of things, you need to bunny-proof the area where the bunny will be running around. But we um, encourage people to use uh, a pet fence-type space, something like you'd set up for a child's playpen but larger, and we use, we use dog um, enclosures or dog pet fences that are clean and you can bring inside, and we place them on a picnic rug or something on the ground. And then within that space, we can put little cat tunnels, um, little hidey hole boxes, little castle turrets and things, and you can make them really interesting and attractive in the home. And the bunny uh, can live quite happily in there when you're not home. And then when you are, you can let it out and into a space where you can keep an eye on what it's going to do. Uh, so it's for the rabbit's safety as well as for your own things as well, that, they, that you don't let them just run wild and chew everything. And also, if you've got that dedicated space and the bunny's desexed and vaccinated and microchipped, when you uh, open up the bunny's space to let them into your space, well, then they will go back into that space to use their toilet. So you need that to establish that's their space and this is your space. So when they come out, they do respect that and they don't just poo all over the rest of the house. They may... Sorry, they, I was just going to add, Edwin, they may territorial mark their space when they first go home, but that usually stops after a couple of days. And that's really them saying, this is my house, everyone, so notice my poos around, so don't come near near here. But once they realise there's not other animals in the home or other rabbits there, that usually stops in about two to three days. Absolutely. And that that's uh, why I was going to jump in there for a second and mention don't be scared of that because uh, once we had the, I think that probably is what the cage that we have. It used to, it's it's sold as a dog pen from one of those big pet franchises. And um, once we got that set up, Binky's got his own little toilet. We've got uh, very similar shaped, uh, we call them trays. We put his little his little poo in his trays. We put a stack of hay in that, and then a little rug and things like this. Um, we don't wash the rug. We just leave that so he can lie on it. And he's really quite happy after he got used to it. We haven't had any mistakes at all inside. He doesn't wee inside. Key point, we got him desexed. So you just pay pay for the desexing. I think desexing, microchipping, um, pets are best to have uh, injections. Rabbits need to have a one injection which can help them to avoid some nasty illnesses and uh, fleeing, stuff like that. I think it came out, like you said, around 300 bucks. Because one problem with, with that we have with rescue is people don't understand the desexing side of it. When when a male rabbit is desexed, it can still impregnate a female for five weeks after it's been desexed. So it's really important that if people do have their male rabbit desexed, that they keep it away from the female till those hormones are gone. Also, if we want to bond another bunny with a male rabbit that's been desexed, we quite often have to wait for 12 weeks for those hormones to dissipate completely. 
that is if the bunny is mature when they're dissexed. If they're if they're only three months old, well, they they won't have the hormones developed. But if they're six months to twelve months when they're dissexed, they can still have the hormones are usually pretty developed there. If we try and bond them before those hormones are gone, they'll hunt the other bunny until there's a big fight. So we want to get rid of the hormones and then we'll bond them. With the bonding process, there can still be some mounting, but that's dominance. It's showing the other rabbit, I'll be the boss, I'll look after you if there's a threat to us. With the vaccinations, we in Australia, we can't vaccinate against myxomatosis at all. Uh, I know that overseas... Uh, people can vaccinate their rabbits against myxomatosis. We can only vaccinate against the Khaleesi virus in Australia, but we have three strains here. And one of those strains was a rogue strain that was introduced to the country, not by our government. It got in by mistake. So there's no vaccine for that. And this is another reason why it's really important to keep the rabbits indoors. And if they do have outside time, under supervised eyes of the owner, that they only let them out when there's not at dawn and dusk or when there's mosquitoes and bugs around to try and protect them as much as we can. But we still do see deaths uh, with this type 2 Khaleesi, which is the one that we don't have a vaccine for in Australia. Absolutely. And, and I get my rabbit injected every year. Uh, would that be about right? Well, yes. Yes, <laughs> the vaccine that is available that does protect them from the other two strains of Khaleesi is an annual vaccination. But what our vets have told us is that the vaccine can drop off between 10 and 12 months. So we encourage people to perhaps have the, vac the vaccination done every 10 months just to make sure they're completely protected for the two strains that we can protect them for. With um, the rogue strain, which is a type 2 Khaleesi, some of our vets have been trialling a vaccine every six months to try and cover them for that. But we've seen anecdotally, because we have a huge number of bunnies in our foster program, we've seen that they've been vaccinated every six months, but it doesn't seem to protect them from that type 2 Khaleesi, which is the rogue strain. So we really just, we're just back focusing on the two strains we can protect them for now. And we do it on a 10-month rotation just to make sure that they're fully covered and it hasn't worn off between 10 and 12 months. That's very clever. So I'll, uh, I'll book Binky in uh, at 10 months rather than 12. I think so, yes, just just to make sure that he's fully covered for those two that we can vaccinate them against. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks for that advice. That that makes me happy. Uh, with, yeah. with regards to happiness, um, I know that you've got, you said 30 kittens you've got? Is it 30 kittens or...? or... Yes, we've got we've got thirty babies. Um, yes, they're referred to as babies when they're domestic um, okay. rabbits. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so you've got 30, 30 uh, babies. That's a lot of work. So, do you have people look, history, helping you? Do you just do that on your own? Well, look, some of them some of them are about six weeks old, so they're they're uh, able to cope by themselves. I do have a couple of litters that we're hand rearing, and I've got a wonderful foster carer that. Some of them I take down to her and she looks after them, tries to pull them through. But this is just, these these babies, some of them were found in people's yards where they've put them outside and they've just escaped. 
uh, we've had a couple of native rabbits which have been taken by cats into the home. There are different laws in every state of Australia regarding the, the wild rabbits, but in Victoria, once they're in our care and we take ownership of them, we are allowed in, in Victoria to keep them. Uh, different states have different regulations, so it's not against the law to keep a wild bunny in Victoria as long as you take ownership of it. So these little ones uh, we're looking after at the moment. We've also had people that have just unexpectedly had litters, not removed the male, so then the female is pregnant again. And, you know, the, the bunnies, they can have 14 in a litter. Uh, so luckily the ones that are coming in, there's seven in the litters. And we add up all the different ones and we've got about 30 altogether, which is what not what we need going into the Christmas period because come uh, December, January, we'll need to dissect all of those little babies. They'll be old enough to be done and then they'll be ready to be placed into homes. And do the people, uh, when you're placing them in the homes... I know that you're aware of the issues that happen. Do you screen people carefully before placing a rabbit with somebody? We do. We're very strict with our screening. So so the first thing that we do, uh, we ask uh, a couple of things. One of the first questions is, do you have um, young children or other animals in the home? It's the first thing. And secondly, can you keep the rabbit as a house pet? Um, if they, with the first one, if they do have other animals and children in the home, that that doesn't mean that they can't adopt from us. It just means it further it leads to further questions about how old are the children, and you know, why are you getting the rabbit? Um, you know, can you can you have you considered that the rabbit can live? 10 to 12 years. So all of these questions that we put to the people go off in different directions. So we, we screen them thoroughly and make sure that they understand the nature of the rabbit. We've got information sheets on our website too on rabbits and children and the right pet for your child and that's taken from a range of um, experts out there that have put together information on children and, and pets. And we also make it very clear that the decision to bring a rabbit into the home should not be from pester power from the children, that it needs to be a family decision that that family is looking at having rabbits for the next 10 to 12 years. And, you know, if they go, we do a lot of demarketing, <laughs> you know, encouraging people to actually look at the reality of having a rabbit. And one really important thing to, before we even get into how to look after them and all that side of it, is the vet care. Have they thought about the vet care? Because with a rabbit, if a rabbit, they're a grazing animal like a horse and they, they have to continually eat to keep those that tummy moving because two-thirds of their anatomy is gut. And if they decide, if they're feeling unwell or they don't drink enough and they get themselves a bit dehydrated, they won't want to eat. And then they will once they stop eating, that gut will slow down. And if that's not arrested straight away through vet care, well, then that bunny can die very quickly within a day or two. So we need a responsible adult to uh, watch the 
welfare side of the rabbit and also they need to be prepared to get that animal to a vet and have the funds put, put aside to do it. And unfortunately, a lot of young families don't think of that side and their finances are usually tied up with their little humans in their family. So it is a real consideration for them that they actually consider that. If they, yeah. And look, the other side of it too, if they can provide a loving home for the animals, but the vet side is, the vet care side is stretching it for them, we also have our foster program where we look after the vet care for our special needs rabbits and they can provide the daily love and care for them in the home. So, so that's that's the other side of um, of the funding that we constantly have to fundraise to cover that, uh, because we're a no kill rescue here. We take in the older bunnies, the ones that might need eye surgeries or an amputation or or have had some head tilt or some other issue, uh, where they can still go on to live long and healthy lives, um, but they do need to go to the vet more regularly and perhaps have some intervention um, surgeries or treatments done. And we're happy to pay for that for the life of the rabbit and we place them into um, long-term homes where the people, they become their bunnies, but we look after the vet care. So there's that option if the right homes come along. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, Aussie Pets podcast is all about people being set up for success with their pets and being responsible for the pet in their family for the life of the pet. So it's a big decision. If you're getting a, a rabbit, let's start thinking about you've got this little baby rabbit and it's going to live for at least 10 years. So you're making a decision for another another little animal, another little being's life for 10 years. So it's a big decision. If you go ahead, you'll, you'll get rewarded. Absolutely. I've been rewarded with my little guy. Um, now, I just wanted to touch something. Uh, I've, I've had a look at your Facebook uh, site there, Judy, and, and I've noticed that you had uh, recruiting for assistance over summer. Are you still recruiting, looking for shelter attendants to help you out? Yes, we are. We are. During um, COVID, we had to uh, self-isolate, Bryce and myself, because we're in an older age group and also we have underlying health, which puts us in the risk, high-risk category of getting that virus. So because of that, we paired right back and we just had two volunteers come up at a time to help us with a small number of animals on site. But now as things are starting to get more under control, we've got a lot more animals coming into us and therefore we need more volunteers on site to help us uh, look after them in a COVID safe way. So we are recruiting at the moment for people to help us through to the end of February which is, you know, during the holiday period when we see a lot more people surrendering or a lot more stray animals being picked up um, and brought to us and people changing their situations and wanting to surrender their animals. And if they're older or with health issues, we keep them here. Well, that's a, that's a great opportunity. If my listeners are out there or they know somebody who would like to have a rabbit and they're talking about a rabbit and I'd love to have a little mate, a little buddy with me, they could give you a call and volunteer over the next couple of months. It's only, we're only talking four months and get to actually know rabbits more personally and to understand how critical it is to have those bonds with rabbits and that 
rabbits are really happy with a little mate, aren't they? Look, it's a great opportunity too for people that are studying doing animal studies to understand um, the husbandry and welfare of the pet rabbit because disease control, when you've got a group of animals together, particularly rabbits, is um, is really important. So we are very strict on site here with our disease control, not just for the COVID um, protocols, but also for the disease control for the rabbits. Rabbits, uh, humans can't actually catch uh, diseases from the rabbits, but they can be passed from rabbit to rabbit, such as the viruses and other other conditions. Uh, so a lot of people, when they ring us to volunteer, they think, oh, I want to come and pat a cute rabbit. Well, it's not about that, unfortunately. You do get to pat them while you're working. But we really need mature and sensible people that are able to take on board the instruction um, of how to care for them and understand too that every all of our protocols here are for disease control um, and and the care of the animals on site and we do want people that are dedicated and committed to help and not just on a whim you know to come up once out of curiosity and not come back because we do put a lot of work into training them up and we have an online training program that we we get them to do before they come on site and then once they do start working on site there's a series of steps they can go through to upgrade their skills um, uh, through and they get certificates as they go through as well and reach the different levels. That, that's a pretty unique offering that you're extending to people who are thinking about fostering or taking the rabbit to their family. I do hope people will have a look at uh, Rabbit Runaway Orphanage and look at taking up that offer as volunteers can help to keep some of the costs down but how about, uh, let's be honest, there's 30 little baby rabbits there times 300. That's 9,000, isn't it, in anybody's math? How do you get that? Have you? How do you get that? That's just for the babies. But we've got, because we've got more than 240 in our foster program, and they're bunnies that have health issues. And if you look on the website, you'll see under the VIB bunnies, they're very important bunnies, and they're the ones that we class as our special needs rabbits. And you'll see a range of conditions there, and they're the ones that require ongoing vet vet care. So we just we do a range of things. This year has been very difficult because a lot of our fundraising has been off-site. So we do intersection collections, we do off-site events uh, where we, we raise funds. We put a calendar out each year. We haven't been able to do the calendar because it's uh, we don't have the funds aside to do it. And the other um, fundraising activities had all stopped. So we've been trying to do what we can through um, moving towards more online type fundraising activities and GoFundMe campaigns and different things, but it has been it has been very difficult for us this year to try and keep up with the vet care because although we don't have we haven't had a lot of rabbits come in during the COVID um, shutdown, we have still got those 240 out there uh, that require vet care ongoing. So there's always bills being run up at our vets. We've got some wonderful vets that, that look after the orphanage and 
they do offer us a small discount, but more importantly, they'll let us hold the bills until we've got the funds to pay them. And uh, that's uh, the rabbit doctors in Collingwood, and they're the unusual pet vets in uh, Frankston. Oh, so you've already got that relationship with them. That's great. Yes, yes. So they've been supporting our foster program for a couple of years now. So they look after all the foster bunnies out that way. Or if we can't get in with one of the others that are closest to us, we go out there. And then we've also got Warrenwood Vets, which is a small exotic uh, vet clinic um, out out uh, towards where we are. But with rabbits, uh, we we can't just go to the general vet around the corner because they do need the vets do need to be trained in uh, rabbit welfare because rabbits are classed as an exotic species when it comes to vet studies. So the vets that have gone on to study exotic, do exotic vet training will understand the species or the the vets that have gone and done work overseas or in practices where they see a lot of rabbits will learn about the, the rabbit care, um, veterinary care. But your general vet may not stock the medications. They may not understand the unique um, illnesses and conditions that are specific to rabbits. Uh, they come under exotics like uh, reptiles, birds, guinea pigs, rats, ferrets, mice. They're not... They, they they learn four years of cats and dogs and probably a four hour class on all those exotics. So we need to go where we where we know they will be um, diagnosed correctly and uh, treated without wasting time. If you're thinking of getting any pet, especially a rabbit, have a talk to the experts. Call the Rabbit Runaway Orphanage. Contact one of the vets that they've recommended. I think Judy's just mentioned about four or five just then. And have them on your speed dial before you have your pet come and join your family. Because it's so critical. If you've got a little tacker that's come home and suddenly got an issue, you need to get them to the the vet that knows what to do very quickly. And then you can have a, a good outcome. So other ways that people can help apart from volunteering on site and donating towards the vet care for the animals, we also have corporate sponsorship where people can sponsor one of the enclosures in the orphanage for these uh, VIB or special needs uh, rabbits that we have. So there's all that information is up on the website. But we look, we do appreciate any help because all of us are volunteers here. Bryce and I are volunteers. We don't get funding from government or anyone else. We've got to generate it all ourselves. And at the end of the day, it all goes towards the care of the animals. And probably 90% of what comes in goes towards the vet care and the rest is just, you know, other things, food and things like that. Uh, also, Bryce and I cover a lot of um, expenses ourselves. We don't even, you know, bother about trying to raise funds for those other things. We just focus on the vet care, which is the most important. And and a quite a large uh, sum, I'd imagine. So if if sponsors have got the heart and they're they're feeling that they can make a difference to this planet, and they're looking at a way to do it, which is unique and humane and ethical, um, jump onto one of those cages. Uh, now, I'd just like to touch on something. I don't think we've got enough time to go into this in depth, but I'd really like to. The House Rabbit Society, as I mentioned at the beginning, you are one of, or you were the person that brought the House Rabbit Society to Australia. Yes, 
Yes, well, the House Rabbit Society just briefly was founded in 1988 in California, and we were two of three educators for the House Rabbit Society in Australia. So there are only three educators here. And we were approached by the House Rabbit Society in America to form the first chapter in Australia in 2013 because to form a, a chapter, you needed two educators and you also needed to run a rabbit rescue. So we were, we were ideally placed to do that. Um, they advocate for rabbits as house pets and it's, it's very much about education and care of the animals welfare care. But that's probably for another day, Ed, wouldn't because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the House Rabbit Society. There is a lot to talk about and they've had a bit of a breakthrough overseas in a few places in terms of uh, what they people can and can't do, how they can and can't sell and uh, whether they can put certain animals into school situations or not. It's something I'm pretty passionate about so yeah, you're right and I know you are as well. We won't get into that today. I think that uh, we've touched on a lot of things here which are going to set people up for more of a realistic and honest expectation in what they can get from rabbits. Now, I'd like to know a little bit before we go about your rabbits. You've got your own, own little buddies in your house. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yes, well, when just um, just step back a minute. When we first started, we had eight of our own pets, and because we've now uh, sixteen years passed when we first had them, they've all passed on. But we do have in our home now more of the higher needs bunnies that are perhaps a bit fragile to go into other homes and one of them is a little rabbit called Cuddles and Cuddles is in a wheelchair and you may see her on the website and she was she came to us from a family and the vets think that she was either dropped by a child or something dropped on her when she was about probably 8 to 12 weeks old and she has an injured lower part of her back but in the wheelchair we had a friend or someone visited us a couple of years ago, and when they saw Cuddled, they made a little 3D printer wheelchair for her. <laughs> and so she, so she scoots around in that during the day. Uh, we've also got uh, just some other bunnies in there, which are more high needs, a head tilt, and, and older bunnies. And little uh, Bunny, her name is a little black rabbit that came to us with her friend Tofu. So there's Bunny and Tofu when their owners had to relocate overseas about eight years ago now and they were they were very very stressed because a little tofu was a dental rabbit and she needed numerous surgery she was a mess so she ended up joining our home and she stayed with us here and can you believe it her owner has traveled back to Australia for study and whenever she comes back each year she'll come out and she'll see little bunny uh, tofu passed away two years ago now but yeah, she's 13 now, which is a ancient for a little rabbit. She's a little black Netherland dwarf and still doing well. And we've got eight, eight in the home with us now, um, you know, little bonded ones that we just didn't want to see them come in and out, come in and out of different homes. And the time came through injury or other situations where we thought, no, that's enough for them. They need to now stay with us. So they've become our new lot of of bunnies 
Well, wow, that's incredible. And there's, there's, we could just go on and on. You touched on, uh, you said that there's a Netherland dwarf, which is very interesting and very quirky little type of rabbit. Uh, there's a lot of different types of rabbits. And have you got, I'm just looking at the picture on the website uh, on your Facebook. Uh, it was um, posted today, I think. Uh, have you got some giants there as well, have you? We do have some giants. They've just come back out of uh, foster care. They've been in their foster home for a couple of years, but during COVID, the foster carer situation has changed dramatically and they have to make other plans. So the bunnies had to come back to us. Um, and they, yeah, they're giants. We also have a couple of uh, cashmere bunnies, one of them. So all of these little guys will go into our foster program, so we cover the vet care for them because the giants, one of them, has a very, very slight head tilt, uh, very slight, but still it's there. Uh, the two cashmeres, one of them has, I think their name's Tim and Bam. Uh, Tim has uh, chronic ear infection, He's, uh, he's been treated by the vets, but he's, came, he's come over from another rescue. So we're the only ones that actually take on high needs or special needs animals, and they come from other rescues and from individuals. And I can understand why the mainstream rescues don't take them because it's a huge uh, commitment and responsibility to continually raise those funds to have the vet care covered for them. So before we started, they would probably just be euthanised. But now at least there's a, there's a safe haven for them here as long as we can keep raising money and having their vet care covered, we can keep doing it. We've managed for 16 years, so I think with the support of the public, we will still be able to keep going. Well, I think, I think that you and Bryce are both uh, God's gift to rabbits and humans in the terms of bringing the two species together and having more of an understanding to have a long, lifelong relationship. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I know that before this podcast, you uh, said that you would be able to come back and tell people more about the House Rabbit Society. I think that's really important from my perspective because of the massive amount of education which can go out there and educate people in pet ownership, in responsible pet ownership. Yes, Edwin, the other thing too, we do, I think what is really important for rescues, and this is our philosophy too, is that we don't just support the animals, but we support the owners and the foster carers also way after the the um, animals have left our care. So even if they're, they're adopted, we still are here as a sounding board and to help if needed. So we don't just ever, we want those animals to come back to us should something go wrong and not just be passed on somewhere else so there's there's the animal and the humans that we we try and look after and support for the life of the animal absolutely and that is the real key point of difference between yourself and other people and other animal rescue charities you're incredibly compassionate we've had so much information that uh, it may be hard to remember at the end of the podcast i'm going to put down a whole uh, list of things that we've spoken about with links to websites, Instagram, uh, where they, people can make a charity donation, etc. And don't forget, as always, uh, until next time, be responsible and I'll see you later. Hi.